Hello, good morning, everyone, or whatever time it is around the world. I know that many of you are watching from all the nations in the world. And uh, I'm thrilled to share this morning with you a message that the Lord has put on my heart that's just burning inside of me. And I'm excited to share this message with you. All week, I've been thinking about this verse in John 10, 10, where Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and life abundantly. And I think that there's never been a time, certainly in my own life, where I've seen all over the world evidence of life being stolen, of uh, people dying and needlessly, and people's econ the economies of the world being destroyed and so on and so forth. And with all of the situation in this global crisis that's happening at the moment, this verse has never been more brightly burning in my heart. And I'm excited to share with you some of the insights that the Holy Spirit has given me as I've meditated on this verse during the last few days. Jesus, I love the way he finishes it with, I've come to give you life and life abundantly. And in the context of a thief coming to steal, kill, and destroy, it's easy for us to think of our own lives in this finite world as being the backdrop for what Jesus, the context for what Jesus is talking about. We tend to think about, well, what would he, what are the things that the enemy would want to steal from us? Well, as I've thought about it, as I've shared with my family about it during the week, I've thought about these things that when it comes to stealing, it's our possessions that are the first thing that come to my mind. I think about, well, he come, the thief, if a thief's going to come and steal, he's going to come and steal my possessions. But then as I get into it a little bit more and I think about a thief stealing from me, stealing from you, so much more to life that he can steal than our possessions. It could be our health and a virus that's going charging around the world that is sadly infecting people, causing them uh, to be very, very sick and then ultimately die in the case of uh, several thousand people in our nations. It's easy to think, oh yes, the enemy can steal our health. But then we also think deeper and we realize, well, actually, our possessions, our houses, our cars, our clothes, our money, our jewelry, our health, those are not the only things that could be stolen from us. Actually, one of the greatest possessions that we have is our time. And our time is rapidly running out. That's actually one of the number one things that we've been given as a gift by God that is a finite resource and is running out for all of us. And of course, for those that have had a horrible sickness or a battle, whether it's with, you know, cancer or some kind of other disease, that time is really running out for people that have been diagnosed with those kinds of diseases. And so it's it becomes more apparent that you realize, wow, time is something that can be stolen from us. But Jesus didn't just say that the thief would come to steal. He said the thief would come to kill. And we know that Jesus said that Satan is a murderer. 
And so it's no surprising that as a murderer, he would want to come to kill. And again, in a pandemic, a global pandemic, what's been called a, a global pandemic, it's easy again to get in touch with the reality that there is a very nasty enemy out there who is trying to kill human beings. And actually, as I've looked at all of the statistics with regards to COVID-19 and other viruses, other coronaviruses that have happened over the years, I've also, in my research, discovered some staggering realities concerning diseases. For example, 200 million people per year dying of malaria. I think we can safely say that this nasty murderer that Jesus was talking about in John 10.10 10 has been achieving his desire to come and murder human beings. And of course, wars, millions, 60 million people died in World War II alone. 18 million people died in World War I. We know that there are evidences throughout history and evidence today that there is a nasty murderer and his minions that are murdering human beings. So he comes to steal our possessions. He comes to murder, take our lives. But Jesus said he comes to destroy. And when I think about, wow, destroy. Surely murder covers all of that. Surely stealing touches on all of that. But Jesus says, adds to those two and says he comes to destroy. And I've thought about that. Destroy. What is it that he can destroy? And I've thought through, maybe he comes to destroy our relationships. Maybe he comes to destroy our dreams. Maybe he comes to destroy our future ambitions. Maybe he comes to destroy our favor that we might have in our workplace. Maybe he comes to destroy our families. There's so many different intangibles that in the word destruction could be very easily included in what he could destroy. But you know, the fact that Jesus said those three things, steal, kill, destroy, has been really, really intriguing me as to why he divided it up into those three things. And I really feel like there's something deeper. And in fact, as I was sharing with uh, Brandon, who is a wonderful, awesome media director here at Catch the Fire Raleigh and helps us even with our Catch the Fire World uh, media. I was sharing with Brendan, and he's, he's rarely in front of the camera on this side, but he is such a deep well and has such a deep love for the Word of God, for theology, for doctrine, and for just chewing over some really deep things. And as I was sharing with him just before this message, he said to me, Duncan, it's so intriguing that Jesus talked about those three things because it feels like you could have included all of them in the word destruction because destruction would have covered theft. Destruction would have covered murder. You could use that word destruction to cover everything. But Jesus didn't just use that word destruction. He said, 
steal, kill, and destroy. And Brandon was sharing with me, there's got to be something deeper. And you know, it just got me so excited as I began to think about it because the word of God is always deeper. There's always layers of revelation that we can have that the Holy Spirit in his love and his kindness can reveal to us. And as I began to pray through preaching this message, I realized that so often steal, kill, and destroy our first thoughts is the things of this world. And when we hear Jesus say, but I've come to give you life and life abundantly, we immediately think, oh, thank goodness, Jesus can give me a better life in this world. Jesus can give me a a better job. Jesus can give me a better house. Jesus can give me a better car. Jesus can give me a better family. Jesus can help me to be a better person. Jesus can give back to me all that the enemy's stolen. In fact, I had a thought just this week where in the book of Proverbs, it says that the thief, when he's caught, in Proverbs 6, when the thief, when he's caught, must pay back seven times what he's been stolen, what, what he has stolen. Solomon, King Solomon, who wrote Proverbs, upgraded what the thief had to pay back from the Moses law. In the Moses law, uh, Moses said, a thief, if he's caught, must pay back four times. But King Solomon comes and he says, no, wisdom demands that seven times must be paid back. And I know of a story where a man uh, was, was swindled by somebody, cheated by somebody out of a certain amount of money. And the Lord asked him, was he willing to forgive that person that had cheated him out of this money in a deal? And he said, yes, Lord, I'm willing to give them a gift that they don't deserve. And he forgave them. And then the Holy Spirit reminded him of this verse in Proverbs 6. And he began to pray according to the word of God. And he said, Lord, I ask you according to your eternal word that you would cause the thief, Satan, the enemy, and the dominion of darkness to pay back seven times what's been stolen from me in this deal where they cheated me. And sure enough, not long later, he received a check in the mail for seven times what had been stolen. I don't know the circumstances of how that check came, but it was from a completely unexpected place and person or organization. There was no explanation, but it was when he calculated it, it was seven times what had been stolen. You know, stories like that get us excited because it's so wonderful to hear how God can cause us to be blessed in this life. But, but, Jesus saying, I've come to give you life and life abundantly is not just for this life. It's not just to give us more possessions in this life. It's not just to give us better relationships in this life. It's not just to give us better health in this life. It's not just to keep us from from dying and give us a long life. It's not just for this life. The reality this is that this life is passing away. This world is passing away. Sicknesses 
are part of the human experience going all the way back to Adam. Jesus came and gave his life at the cross. He paid the price of our sin. He paid the price of our sickness and diseases. He came to set us free from sickness, from disease, from death itself, all of which is rooted in sin, and he paid for all of our sin. But he did it all, not just for a better life in this world. In fact, there's no guarantee that there may be a better life in this world for us. The Bible tells us that we might actually encounter great suffering as we walk out what it is to live in the kingdom of heaven in this world. Actually, it may well be that we will suffer. And in fact, I have many friends right now in Africa that are suffering tremendously, even though they've given their lives to Jesus, even though they have the abundant life that he's talking about in John 10.10, the reality is that life they're discovering is rooted in Jesus. It's rooted in who he is as the eternal son of God, eternal life himself. They've discovered in the midst of their suffering that Jesus and the life that he's talking about, the life that's in himself, is not limited to this world. In fact, it's not even rooted in this world at all. This life is the life that comes from him, from Jesus, and he is eternal life. In this world, whether we suffer or whether we're prosperous, that life, that reality of suffering or prosperity is actually not the real deal of what Jesus was talking about when he said, I've come to give you life and life abundantly. And I'm so grateful for that because if the blessings of God were limited to this life alone, then we, as Paul said, would be pitied above all men. All the prosperity would amount to nothing because at the end of the day, we're each going to die. And as King Solomon says in the book of Ecclesiastes, everything that we've acquired and accumulated, we would have to pass on to another person that would live after we have been buried. I'm so grateful, though we can be healed from sickness. And Jesus not only can heal us from our sicknesses and has healed us from all of our diseases, he's able to raise us from the dead again. I'm glad that the kingdom of heaven is such that the dead can be raised again in this life. And the Bible tells us in the book of John chapter 11, the story of how Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus was one of his best friends and he got sick. And word was sent to Jesus that Lazarus was sick. But Jesus waited a few more days before he went to the house of Lazarus. And by the time he got there, Lazarus had already died of that sickness. He was already buried in the tomb. The stone had been rolled away. Lazarus had already been embalmed. He'd already been wrapped up and he was already decomposing. And yet Jesus came to the house and said to Martha, Martha, do you not believe I am the resurrection and the life? And Jesus went to the tomb 
He told them to roll the stone away. They said he's going to stink terribly. But Jesus said, roll it away. And when they rolled the stone away, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus, though he was dead four days, he came out of that tomb, bound in all of the embalming cloths and everything else that were wrapped around him. And Jesus said, remove all of that because he's alive. And Lazarus was raised from the dead, though he had been decomposing for four days dead. Jesus raised him from the dead and has promised us as believers that we not only can lay hands on the sick and they'll recover, but that we can raise the dead. However, this is the point that I want to make. Lazarus still died again. Lazarus lived for however many years he lived and then he died again. And so we recognize that even though Jesus is the resurrection and the life, it's not for this life alone. Yes, we know he can raise the dead in this life, but it's the ultimate resurrection from the dead at the end of all things that we all have been promised in Christ Jesus that is the greatest abundant life that Jesus came to give us. He came to give us eternal life. He came to give us his life, which he conquered death on the cross when he died and paid the price of all of our sins and was raised from the dead three days later so that whoever believes in him would never perish, would never die, but would have eternal life, his eternal life, in him, with him, forever. And he promises, the word of God promises that there is going to be a new heaven that is a new earth, a new heaven and a new earth where heaven and earth are one and a place where we will dwell, a glorious city, a glorious city where John the apostle at the end of his life in his 90s, he has a vision of this glorious city coming down out of the heavens, a new Jerusalem, a new heaven and a new earth, a brand new dwelling place for eternity, a glorious city where every all walls are translucent and gold and the streets are gold and there's a glorious river and there's trees on every side of the river bearing fruit that are for the healing of the nations and it's just the most glorious vision that he has. All the gates of the city are beautiful, made of beautiful gems that are indescribable. In fact, the word of God says that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart of man has, or mind of man has ever understood what God has in store for those who love him. It is so glorious. It is so beautiful. It is so beyond anything that we can imagine. And it's what Jesus came to give us. And when we think about that and this eternal life that he's come to give us, a life where we're going to be with our families forever. We're going to be with our friends forever. We're going to be in bodies that have been upgraded, that are glorious bodies that are just like Jesus' resurrected glorious body. 
Our eyes are going to be like blazing fire. Our faces are going to shine like the sun. We're going to be dressed in white just like Jesus. We're going to have golden sashes around us. I'm telling you, uh, Yves Saint Laurent and Armani and, you know, all of these different uh, style houses, they're going to pale into insignificance compared to the glorious clothing that God has in store for us all in that eternal realm. We're going to have feet that are like polished bronze. We're going to have the word of God coming out of our mouths like a double-edged sword forever. We're going to be able to juggle stars forever. Why? Because this is what Jesus has given us through himself, through himself coming into this world, taking, living the perfect life we couldn't live, and then taking all of our sin upon himself at the cross and paying the price of it all in full so that there was nothing against us, so that the Father could award us the life of his Son, that the best life we ever lived on earth was actually the life that Jesus Christ lived on earth, that that would be the record forever, that the life you lived on earth was the life Jesus lived 2,000 years ago, a perfect life where he perfectly fulfilled the law, where he did everything that the creator desired the creator to do because he as the creator became the created to live that perfect life. And he did it for us. And now he has extravagantly rewarded us for just believing in him with the very same eternal life that he, Jesus Christ has because the father raised him from the dead. And in raising him from the dead, he raised us from the dead with him. Sons and daughters who are just like Jesus. And that is the abundant life that Jesus is talking about right here in this verse of John 10, 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that you might have life and life abundantly. And you know, our friends in places like the Middle East and places like uh, some areas of, of the continent of Africa, some of the nations in the continent of Africa, our friends who love and know Jesus, who have his abundant life, they're suffering right now. They're suffering in the face of hunger. They're suffering in the face of diseases like malaria. Their children are dying, even though they're in the Lord and they know the Lord. They're being attacked by all kinds of uh, fanatics, terrorists from other religions, and so on and so forth. And some of them are even being tortured and murdered. How can these people allow themselves to be murdered when they're asked, will you renounce Jesus or will murder you? And they're turning around and saying, we will never renounce Jesus and they're being murdered. Why would they allow themselves to be murdered in a situation like that rather than simply renouncing Jesus? What is it that would cause them to, to say, you know what, I'm not going to take the easy option here and go back to my old life that was unpersecuted and where I can have possessions and I can have time again and I can have my family and my relationships and so on and so forth. And they're saying no to that opportunity. 
and they're saying, I will never renounce Jesus. And as a result of that, they're being put to death. Why? It's because they've discovered that the abundant life that Jesus is talking about, the true American dream, to put it in our terms, is not more possessions, more uh, a nicer house, a better job, more favor with my colleagues and my bosses, um, a better health system, healthcare system, you know, flying on airplanes to go on vacations, treating ourselves to spas. All of those things are wonderful. Don't get me wrong. But they are not the fundamental essence of what's important. They are not abundant life that Jesus is talking about. And they will not be the things that would sustain any human being to say, I'm going to give up Jesus in order to have those things. No. No, no, no. When we truly know Jesus, we would never give up him for anything that this world can offer because Jesus is so much more than all of the world put together. He's more than all of time that's ever existed because he's eternity. He's more than all of the possessions because he's the possessor of all things. He is more than the life that can be taken in this world by the murderer, Satan himself, because he is eternal life. And when we're united to him, nothing can ever be stolen from us. Everything about our lives is protected in body, soul, and spirit. When we're in him, our life is protected from sickness our life is protected from death and our life is protected from destruction. But it's not necessarily the life that this world gives us, which is temporary. It's the life that really counts, the life that we're going to have forever, forever and ever and ever. And you know what? The thief who comes to steal, kill and destroy can do nothing to touch that life. He cannot take your eternal life. He cannot take the endless universes that God awaits with you to co-create with you. He cannot do anything to take away that glorious city that awaits you, where your home is in that very city of gold. He can do nothing to take away your relationships that you have forever. Your fathers, your sons and daughters, the people that are in Christ, Satan can do nothing to destroy those relationships in the eternal realm. He is a defeated enemy. Jesus has defeated him. He has crushed his head. He has stopped him in the realm that truly counts. And though you die in this world, and we will all die. We will never, ever have eternal life taken from us because we're one with eternal life himself, Jesus Christ. And as I've thought a little more deeply about this verse, I've realized that fundamentally 
I think Jesus was getting back to the very essence and the very of life and the purpose of God in creating us and getting back to where it all began gives us a deeper understanding of what Jesus is talking about. In Genesis chapter 1, the Bible tells us that God created all of us. God created Adam and God created Eve. God created a man and from the man, he created a woman. And from that man and woman, from those two, the entire human race has been born in successive generations. In fact, we were all, every one of us, myself and you watching, every one of us were in Adam when Adam was created. When God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit made Adam in their image, made Adam and Eve in the image of God, and God, he made them male and female. He made them in God's image. And God is male, God is female, God is not male, God is not female, he's both, and he's neither all at once. By the way, if that sounds strange to you, and you think, gee, I can't figure that out. Well, listen, if you ever do figure God out, get rid of him. That's not the real God. Okay, God is mystery. And he may be mystery for all eternity. Maybe that's what eternity will make eternity so amazing, that we'll be discovering different facets and different things about God, this glorious, mysterious creator of all of us. I'm so excited just about that. But getting back to it, having made Adam and Eve, male and female, having made all of us in them, the Bible tells us that we were made in Genesis 1.26, that God made us in his image, in his likeness, and made us to rule and have dominion. And in verse 28, it says, and God blessed them. God blessed Adam and his wife Eve. And he blessed you and me because we were in them. God's blessing came upon Adam and Eve. And then he said, God blessed them. And he said, multiply, go forth from here, multiply, fill the earth and have dominion over it, rule over it and subdue it and rule over it. And you know, he first, he said that to them in a garden that he had created for them to tend, to work, to cultivate, to be blessed, to build dwelling places in, for it to be a city, for it to be a place of productivity and beauty and glory. You know, Kate and I have been spending a little more time in our garden and there's just something about getting your hands into that soil and planting and beautifying and tending the garden that just has so deeply touched Kate and I and filled and restored our souls at this time. Uh, and it's been amazing. I think it's because God created us all to beautify and co-create with him. But he also created, created us to rule with him. And that is what gave me a bit of revelation that I've never thought of before. I think Jesus, when he was talking about the thief came to steal 
kill and destroy. When I think back to that moment in Genesis chapter 1 in the original intent of God for humanity, God intended us to have a throne. God gave us a throne. God gave us the tree of life in the center of the garden, which would have given them access to his eternal life and union with him if they had eaten from that tree. But they never ate from that tree. They chose instead to eat from the other tree that God told them not to, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And finally, God gave them, so God gave them uh, a throne to rule. God gave them his life as the tree of life, access to his life, eternal life. And number three, God gave them the garden, a place for them to tend. And he clearly intended for that garden, which had no walls, to be extended all over the planet. Because he said, go fill, go. He said, go. In other words, go and make the entire planet the Garden of Eden. Go forth, multiply, and by implication, you're going to need multiple dwelling places. We typically call those cities. God's always intended that this planet be a glorious city where he and us can dwell together, where we're feeding constantly in union with his life, and in that place of relationship and intimacy with him, we rule over everything that he created and that we co-create with him. And I just want to say to you, everybody, that that, I believe, is what Jesus was really talking about. He has come. His mission is to come and give back to us what we lost. Because when Satan came and tempted Adam and Eve and they ate they listened to him and they ate that fruit. All of us, and they sinned, all of us sinned with them. And we were all separated from those three things. Satan stole their throne, stole their authority to rule. Now, even Jesus doesn't deny that he's the prince and the ruler of this dark world. And, but, it, but he acknowledges that that rulership, he never calls him a king because he's an imposter. The throne is our throne that Satan sits on. And Jesus came to give us back that throne. Jesus came to restore the throne of man back to humanity. And in Christ Jesus, every one of us are restored back to our place of rulership in the Father at his right hand. And our throne is restored to us. So Satan stole their throne. Secondly, Satan stole their lives because just like God said, in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And sure enough, the result of that sin, the wages of sin was death, has always been and will be until the end of this world. But Jesus has paid the price in full of our sin. So even though in this life, the wages of our sin is death. And just like Adam, who died, we all will die. Jesus has set us free from our sin so that now, though we die in this world, we have eternal life in him and we live in him. And so 
Satan stole the throne. Satan stole the life and they died and we've all will die. But number three, Satan stole the potential of that beautiful garden that would have become a glorious city full of dwelling places because God had to remove Adam and Eve from the garden and all that they had built was destroyed, so to speak. The potential, the great potential was destroyed, but Jesus came to restore all things and he came to give us what God always intended, which was the garden beyond the grave, a beautiful city, eternal city of gardens and dwelling places with God and man. And so I just want to say this to you, everybody, today, that Jesus Christ is abundant life. He is your abundant life. And all you and I need to do is believe in him. And boom, we are fully in union with him. We are co-rulers with him. We are inheritors of his life forever. Satan can never steal that life. And thirdly, we are restored to the purposes of God where we can seek first the kingdom of heaven and see that kingdom advance and see ultimately the eternal dwelling place of God and man. And of course, faith allows us to reach into what's reserved for another day and bring it into today. So we can bring all of those future blessings, that glorious city into today. And through faith in Jesus Christ, we can see our families restored. We can see our bodies that get sick healed. We can see people that die raised again from the dead. We can see our cities transformed to look like the Garden of Eden if we just believe and we work with the Holy Spirit. So if you've never given your life to Jesus, you don't have to do a single thing to inherit eternal life except this one thing, just simply believe in Jesus. And right now where you are, you can give your life to Jesus and you in a moment will go from being finite to being eternal. We'll go from being sick to being whole. We'll go from being dead to being in his eternal life. We'll be going from a place where possessions can be stolen from you to joining him as the possessor of all things. You'll find your true destiny, calling, purpose, and it will all be in him. And you know what? You'll become the boldest, most fearless champion. And nothing in this world will ever tempt you to give up Jesus in the face of that torment or persecution. God bless you. I hope you've been blessed and enjoy that abundant life where Satan cannot steal from you, cannot kill you, and cannot destroy anything that is yours because you are Christ's and Christ is yours.